What is it? It's your future. It's called a Stargate. Chevron 7 locked. Welcome to Walking Through the Stargate. I'm Brent. And I'm Zach. This is episode 120, and we'll be talking about Stargate SG-1's episode, Prometheus. Prometheus. We're an independent podcast, friends. If you'd like to support the show, you can do that at patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. We got uh, we got tiers, we've got privileges. Zach will tell us more about that in a bit. Uh, one of the privileges is some Patreon first audio content. Uh, we got uh, the other side of the gate. Zach and David get together and they talk about stuff that I'm not allowed to talk to hear. And it manifests itself in some fun little things like what we discovered last week, two weeks ago, somewhere in there. Uh, David sent us a text message. It was all like, hey, guys, there's a problem with the audio. <laughs> and I was like, I, I, I yeah. guess. I don't know. I don't listen to the. I, I get the file. I put it on the feed. That's what I do. So we got that. We got that all fixed up. If uh, if there was a problem on the audio that you listen to, you could probably redownload it and it would be fine. Uh, but one of the things that I do listen to is uh, that Zach and I do a Stargate Second Chances. It's where, uh, based off of your votes, Patreon listeners, we uh, pick episodes that we have watched before. And we run them through the wash again and uh, give our reaction to it a second time. Um, it's a lot of fun because uh, as I am learning more and more about the story, some of these older episodes either make more sense or that can feel their their importance more. You know, there's 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 parts about it that make a lot more. It's 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 fun. It's a good time. We uh, we 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 do have we we have fun, Zach. We have fun, but we do we do. If uh, if you're listening and you're saying I don't want to give you guys money, um, I just want to hear your content. Good news, friends. I agree with you. Uh, we, for those who support us, we say thank you a thousand times over. But uh, we also are the kinds of people that are like we're not we're not going to be those we're not going to be those folks that just keep everything behind a little garden and like if you want the good stuff you gotta give us money no like we we enjoy doing this we like getting the stuff out there um we release everything that we make it's just that some of this stuff we put on patreon first and then over time we drop it in the main feed as you all are very well aware um we will get to it in a second, but uh, good news, friends. It's August. That's summertime. We'll be getting into more details here in about three minutes, but we'll be telling you about that. But hey, Zach. Um, yes. Oh, wait, I'm skipping a thing. Uh, the thing I'm skipping, friends, is that if you want to tell people where to find us, they can find us on podcast aggregators and Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts and la, 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 la. Now, Zach, if somebody wants to come in and say, Brent, you just zipped right through that intro. I mean, I get it. You've been trying to find ways to make it more smooth, more engaging. Uh, you you ask for our input regularly, um, but this time it was just a little too quick. How might they, how might they get a hold of us and let us know that? So if you need to give Brent pointers on how appropriately to introduce a podcast, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com, which is W-A-L-K-I-N-G-T-H-R-O-U-G-H-T-H-A-S-T-R-G-A-T-E at gmail.com. Nice. Or, thank you very much, or you can go to Twitter at Stargate Walking and talk to us there and share all of your thoughts about better ways of introducing podcasts. You can also do that on Facebook. We have a Facebook page, Walking Through the Stargate. We also have a Facebook group, which is also called Walking Through the Stargate. Uh, join us there and like chat and do all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. You can also go to our website, wtts.space. Or for the noobs out there, you can go walkingthroughstargate.com. Yes, we have that as well. Both will get you to the same place. And yes. there you can go to each of our uh, podcasts. And there are some comment sections in there. And you can type your stuff in there and, and join conversations there as well. 
Yep. Um, it's so that's good. an option as well. And of course, we have patreon.com uh, slash walking through the Stargate, where you get tiers and all sorts of stuff, and we get some extra podcast materials and, and all of that fun stuff. Brent. Yeah. I sent out the emails to our Patreon subscribers, uh, inviting them to send their votes in mm-hmm. uh, for what episodes we should uh, review in Stargate Second Chances. Mm-hmm. Those of you who are on Patreon, if you have not responded to the email, now is your opportunity to mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let me know what you're voting for for this month. Uh, but nice. We have reached the threshold of yet another podcast episode. Okay. All right. There is a certain episode in season two. Yeah. That you believe is the height of television. It's because it is. And the rest of us on the planet realize that at best it's mediocre. Well, that's okay. You're all wrong. It's okay. I'm wrong every day too. Yeah. Not about That episode is entitled Bang. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. And with 10 votes that we've just received last night, uh-huh. we will have to rewatch Bane. Yes! Yes! I'm so excited. I'm not even kidding. I'm like bouncing in my seat right now. <laughs> I am ready. I am ready to rewatch Bane and tell you all exactly how I feel about it upon a second rewatch. You know, I am actually looking forward to rewatching Bane and kind of. Looking at it through a Brent set of eyes. Wouldn't it be something? Would it not be something? Everybody's expecting me to go down on the ratings again. And that's reasonable. That's quite sensible. And then there's a number of people that are probably wanting me to continue to be completely myself and to give it a really high rating again. And that's also reasonable. I'm in that camp myself. Sure. But wouldn't it be something else, Zach, if I went down and you went up? (laughs) (laughs) That would be the height of podcasting. That's right. And there's only one and a half ways for you to find out. The halfway being you can just wait a bit and it'll be on the main feed eventually. (laughs) But if you want in on that thing, there's only one way to do it. Yep. Um, we still haven't had a chance to talk about when we are going to schedule doing that, but that will come up as soon as we can. Yeah. Um, but we do have some bumps in the road in terms of that scheduling and also, frankly, with our standard podcast here Yelp. coming up. Brent, do yeah. you want to tell us about that? Sure thing. So um, all y'all have been awesome and wonderful. And um, the month of July is a busy month for me usually and this month of july was also a particularly busy month for zach too um we ended up having to miss i think two weeks of this month uh due to different you know reasons why um and we we just rolled with it and then um and then i was looking at my calendar and i was like oh right hey zach you remember that vacation that i told you about back in like april and he's like yeah actually i was like Sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking at the calendar going, oh, that's in um, two weeks. So oh my um, I'm going to be out for two weeks, uh, kind of on the front, the front half of August. Zach's going to be gone for a week in the middle of August, and they don't overlap. They do <laughs> so, not. <laughs> and, so, and so we are going to be unavailable to record for three weeks. And that's not the end of the world. And that's also not abnormal. Like, 
last year this time we were stuck in our houses doing nothing so we were able to just take care of business but um and i think in years past it's just worked out that we we were able to record but like you know taking vacations in the summertime is kind of a normal thing mm-hmm. and so um we will not be creating any original content on the weeks of August 7th, 14th, and 21st. Um, but we do have uh, a conversation that we had with a resident expert of a particular field that we were pretty excited to talk to you about. And uh, those of you in the know know. Uh, we're going to be dropping uh, the other side of the gate, episode six, on August 21st. Um, so yep. all y'all can have something to listen to while we are gallivanting around the countryside, um, relaxing and trying to relax and, 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 and vacation and whatever. I don't know. I'm rambling. Point yeah. is though, we're not going to be making any new stuff for a bit. And that also probably is going to bump into our ability to do Stargate second chances for right. Bane. However, but, um, I'm we'll hopeful Brent yeah. that, uh, so our, uh, assistant with the promos and, yes. and the guy who, uh, uh, hosts with me, the other side of the gate, David is like currently on vacation, he's going to be on vacation for a couple more weeks. I can't remember exactly the schedule he told me, but my brain is like that. Hi, David. Yep. Um, in any case, <laughs> there is a possibility, and I'm hopeful that David will get back and you'll be gone. But I, because I'll be around on the seventh and the fourteenth, it's right. possible that we can get our acts together and get some other side of the gates recorded. Um, maybe at least one. Um, we do. Yeah. Uh, However, need to figure out what we want to talk about. And so, especially Patreon listeners, but frankly, all y'all, if -hmm. you have a great topic for what uh, David and I should talk about in our other side of the gate, um, let us know. If you are a specific expert in your field, whatever that field may be. Oh, yes. And if that field, you believe that that field pertains to Stargate, let us know. Let's have a conversation, and maybe we can schedule the time. Maybe not right away. Maybe in the future. Who knows? Where you can join us, uh, like we had this expert, uh, Rowan, in the the episode six of Other Side of the Gate. Yes. So, um, we'll go with that. So let us know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Speaking well, of Zach, yes, I've got a I've got a Other Side of the Gate uh, topic for you. Oh, that okay. that has nothing to do with fauna or flora. Um, like I had last time, uh, we'll get into it, but this episode feels like a bit of a threshold episode. Okay. And there have been these types of episodes before, like when the showrunners are trying to kind of shift a gear, maybe move it from this, uh, this away to that away. Um, and talking about those threshold episodes, uh, even and including future seasons that I haven't seen, mm-hmm. uh, might be, might be worth a conversation. Uh, you know, I'll have to talk with David about that. Um, of course, but it's not my uh, show. It's your guys I, I show. mean, I think I think it's a it's a great idea, and I've got to figure out if we've already kind of talked about that. We've done oh, some well, you stuff might have done like that. that. <laughs> <laughs> Did I mention that I don't listen to your guys' episodes? <laughs> Come on, Brent, you're like my best friend. What are you doing? I mean, not listening I guess to my content. Uh, all I'm saying is that I am I am keeping true. I remember a while ago, people were amazed that I was watching one episode a week, like yeah. not rushing ahead. And, you know, still still haven't rushed ahead. It's been it's been all these years of just one episode a week. And, you know, at this point in time, as much as I would like to rush ahead, mm-hmm. I have been so crazy busy with life mm-hmm. the last several months, mm-hmm. uh, even probably going on a full year now. 
that uh, right. uh, rushing on ahead uh, has not been a problem <laughs> for <Nope>. me. <laughs> nope. All I'm good. Like, I'm like, okay, I got a schedule when I can watch this episode, and it has to be before Saturday. <laughs> well, and for you though, let's 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 give let's um let's be real here. I have it easy with that. I just plop my butt down and I flip on the TV and I watch 43 minutes of television. That's what I do. You usually watch the episode and rewatch it with commentary. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, you usually watch it twice in a week. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, usually that's back-to-back. So usually what ends up happening is on Friday night or maybe Thursday, depending on the situation, I'll sit down and uh, work on my show notes for the episode, and I'll get most yeah. of that done. And then I will sit down and I'll watch the episode. And, and I will actually watch the episode while, mm-hmm. you know, without... And then if the, I have, pull the, have the DVDs, if there are any special featurettes around the episode or something, I'll watch those. And then I will put the commentary on... And I won't watch it as cleanly. I'll keep my ears open for yeah. it, and I uh, might be doing some other things uh, as life happens um, as I listen to it. But yeah, it does take me, you know, an hour and a half at least to get through all that process. Yep. And then not including the the show notes. Yep. But yep. I don't have to do the editing afterwards. You do that, so I do that. That's true. It's a work share agreement. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, shall we dig into this episode, Prometheus? Let's get into it. All right. So this episode was directed by Peter F. West, which is W-O-E-S-T-E, but it's mm. West. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least I'm pretty sure. This is his first directing credit this season of two. He's mm-hmm. got two this season. Um, he has done a few others before. We heard his name in Maternal Instinct in Season 3, mm-hmm. The Light in Season 4, mm-hmm. and 48 Hours in Season 5. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I counted, he's got six other directing credits in the series. Uh, his primary task is like a uh, cameraman operator. He's like a director of photography type yeah, of I stuff. Yeah, I gotcha. Yep. Uh, the teleplay for this episode is by Joseph Malazzi and Paul Mully. Mm-hmm. This is their fourth writing credit this season of seven. They did Descent, Nightwalkers, and Shadowplay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got several guest actors. Some of them are returning. We have mm-hmm. Colin Cunningham as Major Paul Davis. Mm-hmm. We have John Delancey returning as Colonel Frank Simmons. Mm-hmm. We have Bill Marchant returning as Adrian Conrad slash the Goa'uld. Mm-hmm. We have some newcomers. We have George Weiner, who plays Al Martell. This is the yep. producer. Yep. Uh, he was born in Boston, and he was a graduate of Syracuse University. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the notable film work that he's done includes the Coen Brothers' uh, A Serious Man. Mm-hmm. He was Rabbi Nachner in that. Uh, mm-hmm. He was also in Mel Brooks's Spaceballs as mm-hmm. Colonel Sanders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and To Be or Not To Be by... Uh, Mel Brooks there. Mm-hmm. Um, he has guest starred in over 150 television shows, and he has been a series regular on nine TV shows in mm-hmm. his career, which is mm-hmm. huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is perhaps best known for his six seasons as Deputy D.A. Irwin Bernstein on Hill Street Blues. Mm-hmm. Now, his first IMDb credit came in 1971 when he played the art director in the episode Oscar's New Life of The Odd Couple. Okay, nice. So, 
That's George Weiner. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Kendall Cross. She plays Julia Donovan, the reporter. Mm -hmm. uh, she graduated uh, from high school in British Columbia, and then she went to the University of British Columbia, and she created her BFA in stage acting. Mm -hmm. She landed her first television audition in the series Highlander. Mm -hmm. In fact, Highlander was her first IMDb credit. She played a character named Michelle in the episode Walk Away. In that. Nice. Mm -hmm. uh, she's a, since appeared in lots of television and film projects. Uh, Flight 93, The Butterfly Flat, and The Butterfly Flat. If, if. <laughs> I'll try that again. The butterfly effect. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, and uh, <laughs> she has uh, been married to Hans Bergstrom, a mechanical engineer, since 2005. Mm -hmm. uh, and I point that out because she actually wrote her own mini biography on IMDb. There you I, go. Uh, so nice. We have Ian Tracy. He plays Smith. This is uh, the the next two actors are the two main um, hijackers. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, so this is the guy who shoots uh, 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 the the producer Al Martel. Yep. Right. Yep. He was born in 1964 in Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm -hmm. He's an actor and director known for Continuum, uh, Open Range, and Time Cop. Mm -hmm. Now. I know him from being an actor who's been in, like, anything that was filmed in Vancouver. Uh, but especially, I remember him from the 4400 back in 2006. He gotcha. was uh, mm -hmm. some of the main, uh, uh, one of the main guest actors, repeat actors in that series mm -hmm. there. Uh, his first IMDb credit came in 1976 in the movie The Keeper. He played mm -hmm. the kid. And mm -hmm. just to kind of give you a sense of what this movie was about, it has a 4.5 IMDb rating. No, that's not that good. No, no, <laughs> no. Gotcha. Now, okay. we have Enid Ray Adams, and she plays Jones, uh, the other hijacker. Uh, and she wrote her own biography on IMDb, and mm -hmm. it's really long. So, oh, okay. buckle in, because here we go. Okay. All right. And Id Ray Adams was born in 1973 in Portage La Prairie. Did I say that right? Manitoba. Sure. Uh, since then, no one has ever pronounced her name correctly. Kids at school called her Igor and Enid the Peenid. Those kids were ill-mannered and had gastric intestinal problems. <laughs> <laughs> the two perms in a row in junior high... After two perms in a row in junior high, Enid Ray bore a striking resemblance to Napoleon Dynamite in 2004 from the major motion picture of the same name. Uh -huh. Years later, Enid Ray began her career in theater performing in some of Shakespeare's classics. In 1993, she made her film debut as a feature extra in the Canadian Independent for the moment opposite Russell Crowe. Her only requirement in the film was to tap Russell Crowe's shoulder in a party scene and smile at him. This was meant to launch her career in film and television and cement her as a leading lady in the minds of directors and studio executives everywhere. Unfortunately, due to a severe case of nerves, Enid Ray looked like a rabid gopher on camera, and her part was cut from the film. <laughs> 
<laughs> nice. In 1998, she moved to Vancouver to pursue her career and couldn't get arrested. If she jaywalked in front of the cops, they would say, oh, I'm sorry, uh, we decided to go another way, or jaywalk for us again when you have an agent. It was during this time that she co-wrote and performed in the hilarious one-woman show, Would You Like Fries With That? She began and promptly finished doing stand-up comedy when she discovered she was much funnier in the privacy of her own home. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Finally, she threatened to egg an agent's 87 Dodge Dart if he didn't sign her. Remarkably, he did, and she has been working ever since. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Enid Ray was a host for the 16th Annual Leo Awards in 2014, and has received two Leo Award nominations for her work, one for her chilling portrayal of the psychotic and highly disturbed Laura Maitland, a recurring character in the acclaimed series Da Vinci's Inquest in 1998, for Chris Haddock, and the second for her role as a mom suffering from depression in R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour 2010, opposite Rico Rodriguez. Other select credits include No Men Beyond This Point, I Zombie, Backstrom, Lawrence and Holloman, Endgame, Fringe, Psych, Supernatural Intelligence, Dead Like Me, Jeremiah, and Steven Spielberg's Taken. Uh-huh. She was recently elected as a director on the UBCP slash ACTRA executive board. Uh-huh. Enid Ray works regularly in film, television, and voice and in film, television, voice, and commercials. She lives in Vancouver, where she can be found loitering in front of Lee's Donuts in her chocolate milk mustache and buffet pants. Part of me kind of wants to go to Vancouver and go to Lee's Donuts to see if there's a person there drinking some chocolate milk and be all like, were you in an episode of Stargate? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um... And nice. as she mentioned, uh, her first IMDb rating, uh, IMDb credit was in 1993 for the moment with Russell Crowe. She mm-hmm. was the lovely young thing, uncredited, and apparently mm. also cut. And rabid gopher. And rab. Well, she <laughs> she wasn't trying to be a rabid gopher. She just apparently hit that on the head. Yep. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So this episode. Uh, Originally aired August 23, 2002. Mm-hmm. So that would be uh, 18 months, 18 years and 11 months from more or less right now. Yeah. Uh, number one on the charts 18, 19 years and 11 months ago was Still Dilemma by Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland. Mm-hmm. And in the UK, they had changed their tune to Round Round by Sugar Babes. <laughs> God, these band names are so bad. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of going round round, uh-huh. number one in the box office was number two last week. It was Signs. And number uh, okay. one hey, last nice. week was Triple X, and that's number two. They're doing a spin around. They're doing number a dosey dope. Three was Spy Kids 2, Island of the Lost Dream. It jumped up from number four. It's doing a spin. Number three oh, last gotcha. week was Blue Crush. It fell not to four, but to five. Uh-huh. And sneaking in there into the fourth spot was My Big Fat Greek Wedding, which was last week number six. So we've oh. got all sorts of things spinning around going round. I guess so. That's all right. Good job. That's, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. So 
What else was going on? Not a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But some things. On August 20, a couple of days before this episode aired, a group of Iraqis opposed to the regime of Saddam Hussein take over the Iraqi embassy in Berlin for five hours before eventually releasing their hostages and surrendering. Mm-hmm. So, on August 26th, a couple of days, a few days after this episode aired, the Earth Summit 2002 begins in Johannesburg, South Africa. Okay. And on August 27th, the 59th annual Venice Film Festival occurs, and the Magdalene Sisters, directed by Peter Mullen, wins the Golden Lion. There you go. Okay. So, now, a couple of trivia things about this episode. Mm -hmm. Uh, The original title for this episode was The X-303 Part 1. Then they decided to go with Prometheus, which I think is actually a far better choice. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, this is, see, this is the first episode in which the Prometheus is shown. However, uh, it was first mentioned way back in Redemption Part 2, but at that point in time, it was just simply referred to as the X-303. So, they had been working on the F-302s and such, Mm -hmm. uh, cranking those things out, um, and they mentioned that they had plans for an X-303, but they didn't go into any more details, and now we get to see what those details are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen Major Davis several times in the series. Yes. But this is actually the first time that we hear his name. So his first name is, well, his first name. Uh, oh, I gotcha. Right. right. So he introduces himself to Donovan as Major Paul Davis of the U.S. Uh-huh. Air Force. And that's the first time we hear his first name, Paul. Yeah. Gotcha. So um, the exterior scenes at Area 37-N2NV... Uh, were found at the Richmond Sand Dunes. So this is the same place where pretty much every sandy planet exists. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) They were happy a little bit because normally they have to do matte paintings and whatnot to paint out all of the buildings that are around the sand dunes. Mm -hmm. But because this was like modern day and stuff, they they didn't have to worry about that. Gotcha. That's good. Um. At the end of this episode, we see Thor, and yes. um, as we've talked about in the past, Thor is voiced by Michael Shanks, mm-hmm. and in the closing credits of this episode is the first time we actually see Michael Shanks credited for providing okay. the voice of Thor. Gotcha. I was kind of wondering if, because uh, it sounded exactly like Thor did, and I couldn't quite tell one way or the other if it was Michael Shanks voicing him, and then it I was. couldn't quite tell if they were reusing audio from episodes before didn't sound like it uh at all and so i was like oh, i wonder if i wonder if michael shanks voiced that and well, yep. apparently he did there you go now for such a large and important endeavor the prometheus project seems to have very few people working on it mm-hmm. there are two guards at the entrance on the surface and two other guards inside the prometheus itself when the hijackers show up yes for something that costs several billion dollars You'd think they would have sprung for at least a couple of extra guards. Those guards get paid really well. Well, they do a really bad job if they do. Well, this was the first time that anybody ever bothered to go down the elevator. Well. Look, you get paid for expertise sometimes, Zach. Okay. Uh, okay. Sure. <laughs> so. The amount of work you don't do sometimes is as valuable as the amount of work you do. 
Uh, well, that can actually be quite true. Yep. Um, now, this is called the X-303. Uh, and, you know, the X... Um, so I read... I'll just read what this says, and we'll talk about this. So the X designation should actually be a Y or YF. X-planes mm-hmm. are research vehicles used to test various new concepts. The Y designators are for the prototypes of a new series. Gotcha. So in the realm of Air Force planes and all of the like, technically, I guess this should be a Y-303 instead of X-303. But as we learned in Wormhole Extreme, if you put an X in it, it sounds cooler. It's better. It's better. So clearly, X-303. Yes. All right. This This is like an undeniable fact. Yes. There you go. And yeah. since this episode is called Prometheus and the ship is called Prometheus, I figured we should spend a little bit of time kind of digging into the mythology of Prometheus. Yeah. Um, and because I didn't have a lot of time and Wikipedia is pretty good at giving you enough of this information good enough, good most enough. of this comes from uh, Wikipedia with a couple of tiny edits here. So uh, Prometheus is a titan god of fire. And he is credited with the creation of humanity from clay and of defying the other gods by stealing fire and giving it to humanity as civilization. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prometheus is known for his intelligence and for being a champion of humankind and is also generally seen as the author of the human arts and sciences. Uh All this begins to make sense why they might name this thing Prometheus. Yep. However, the punishment of Prometheus as a consequence of the theft of fire and giving it to humans because, you know, in Greek mythology, humans are an accident. We shouldn't <laughs> exist. Pesky humans. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> um, this is a uh, popular subject of both ancient and modern culture, this idea. Anyway, Zeus, the king of the Olympian gods, <laughs> sentenced Prometheus to eternal torment for his transgression. He was bound to a rock and an eagle. The emblem of Zeus was sent to eat his liver uh, each day. And in ancient Greece, the liver was often thought to be the seat of human emotions. Mm-hmm. I'll liver- eat those emotions right out of you. Exactly. His liver would then grow back overnight, only to be eaten again the next day in an ongoing cycle. Ouch. Great. However, yep. Prometheus was eventually freed by the hero Heracles. Hercules, Hercules. I get, yeah, I know. Heracles, Greek. Yes. I'm going to say Heracles. Well, that's because it's Greek. Yeah. 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 Keep going. All right. Anyway, uh, in another myth, Prometheus establishes the form of animal sacrifice practiced in ancient Greek religion. Evidence to a cult to Prometheus himself is not widespread, uh, but he was a focus of religious activity, activity mainly at Athens where he was linked to Athena and Hephaestus, who Mm -hmm. were the Greek deities of creative skills and technology. Yeah. Uh, In the Western classical tradition, Prometheus became a figure who represented human striving, particularly the quest for scientific knowledge. Again, another reason why they would choose Prometheus for the ship. And, of course, the risk of overreaching or unintended consequences. Mm -hmm. Like having... A ghoul will steal your ship and then fly it into who knows where. Oops. Oops. Uh, In particular, uh, Prometheus was regarded in the Romantic era as embodying the lone genius whose efforts to improve human existence 
could also result in tragedy, which uh-huh. um, actually kind of plays a little bit into the idea that Simmons has about himself, if you kind of think about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mary Shelley... It's aptly uh, named. Yeah, for instance, gave the modern Prometheus as the subtitle to her novel, Frankenstein. Yep. In 1818. So. Yeah, the scientific backdrop for what was happening in the early 19th century that allowed for Mary Shelley to sort of like have the baseline for her story idea was pretty fun ish. Mm-hmm. Not that fun. It, you know, vivification. Hey, I'm not the uh, only one that's struggling with my words. This is true. <laughs> uh, there was that. There was like grafting was kind of starting to become a thing. Like people were like the 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 human body as machine was kind of coming into its own as an idea. And and of course, you know, like if if the body is nothing more than an elaborate machine, then one could become a master mechanic of it and put together different pieces, and then you could have yourself. Frankenstein's monster. That's right. And of course, then you have to ask the question, if the human being is just a machine, um, then what does it mean to be alive? That's, that, that, is, that, sir, is the question. It is. Uh, I do have a couple of quotes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is from, well, they're both from Joseph Malazzi. He says first, The Prometheus owes much to the mothership from descent, and the partially constructed ship from Nightwalkers. Ah, yeah, okay. Right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, almost certainly those two places are places where the Earthlings, uh, or the Earthens, as the Pangarans like to call us, yes. um, <laughs> pulled to help build the Prometheus. Uh-huh. And then, Richard Dean Anderson was an executive producer on the show and liked to read and provide notes on all of the scripts. I remember getting a script back from him once and Paul being delighted by how much Rick obviously liked it. Look at all the check marks, he pointed out. <laughs> check marks are bad, Rob informed him. <laughs> oh. Well, Let's just say this script got a lot of check marks. Ah. Rick greatly objected to the basic premise that a group could actually steal an Earth ship. As a result, and to spare his character any potential blame, the script was rewritten so that O'Neill wasn't anywhere near the Prometheus when it was taken. So passionate was his opinion that in the scene in which he dresses someone down for allowing the ship to get grabbed, I swore he was actually channeling himself. There was a lot of energy in that scene. Yes, there was. There was a lot of energy there. I can see. I can now knowing that little piece of information. That's really, really interesting. Yep. Awesome. This episode titled Prometheus in English has Mm -hmm. various titles in other languages. Yeah. In the French, the Italian, the Spanish, the Czech, the Hungarian and the Russians. They all call it Prometheus. Yeah. And our good friends, the German. They also call it Prometheus. Ah, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They don't call it Simmons is dead? Nope. They also don't call it, hey, the bad guys steal the ship. They don't don't call it, uh, don't trust the producers? Nope. (laughs) And they don't call it, it's always the camera guys. (laughs) It's always the camera. (laughs) They needed more tapes or batteries (laughs) or whatever it was. (laughs) Yeah. 
I will say that you're not going to do a whole lot of filming if the guts of your camera hold a zat instead. No, you know, it's almost like they were there on a ruse or something. Oh my goodness. All right. Shall we get into the synopsis? Yes. Let's do All this. right. So, the synopsis for Prometheus. You just visited your accountant and you're on your way home when you get accosted by a new reporter, a news reporter insisting that you're part of her giant conspiracy about some project named Prometheus or something like that. She says she has proof and some alien substances used in Prometheus and she wants you to comment. What do you do? Major Samantha Carter looks at Julie Donovan with a blank look and declines to comment. Can I go home now? Unfortunately, Julia Donovan isn't just some person with a kooky idea. She actually has a legit story on her hands. Back at the office, Carter fills General Hammond in on the events by her car. He affirmed her actions. Officially, our policy is to deny everything. You don't exist. And you don't exist. And you don't exist. Everybody doesn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Oh, wait, no. Boo! (laughs) Donovan is visited by Major Paul Davis, the U.S. Air Force. He has no threats, no speeches, just the truth. If you run that story, you put people's lives in danger. She is unconvinced and lets Davis know that should anything happen to her, she's made arrangements for the story to get out. So, don't kill me. I'm just saying. So what do you do when someone insists on sharing with the world your deep, dark secrets? First, you talk to that someone, and if that doesn't work, you call the President of the United States, naturally. And with the power of the United States President, the Air Force approaches Donovan's producer, Al Martell, and simply kills the story. Donovan is understandably upset and threatens to take the story to foreign journalists, But Martell comes up with another option. Hear me out. You let us see Project Prometheus. Let us film everything. Now, you control all the tapes and all the stuff. You you get it. But when the Prometheus finally does go public, we get the exclusive. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. The SGC agrees with the intent to agrees with the intent to find. uh, Let me start that again. The SGC agrees. And they do that with the intent to find where Donovan is getting her information and subsequently plugging that leak. Then, once that's done, they are going to destroy all the footage. A classic government double-cross. Suffice it to say, O'Neill and Carter are not 100% on board with this plan. Julia Donovan, Al Martell, and the camera crew arrive in the middle of Nevada, in the middle of a Nevada desert at a small fenced structure. Apparently, $2 billion doesn't buy as much as it used to. Or does it? They take an elevator down several hundred feet, and the reporters are amazed when confronted with Prometheus, or the X-303, a full-on U.S. spaceship capable of flying through the interstellar cosmos! Woo! Woo! Filled with a combination of both human and alien technology. The crew sets up on the bridge while Jonas and Carter continue the tour with Donovan and Martell. They arrive at the engine room and talk about the sublight engines and the hyperdrive. But, unbeknownst to them, but known to us, the audience, the camera crew is not who they appear to be. One of them has snuck a Zat gun on board 
in one of the cameras. He pulls it out and he stuns the two guards watching over them. And that's the last we see of them for the rest of the episode. And they begin. No, they, they get drug off at one point. Oh, okay. That's the second to last thing we see of them. <laughs> and the team begin their work taking over the ship. Carter realizes that something is wrong and leaves Jonas to watch over the reporters while she heads to the bridge to check on things. She meets up with a couple members of the camera crew and a scuffle ensues, but she is able to escape their pursuit by locking herself in a storage room on deck seven. Unfortunately, she is now locked in the storage room on deck seven. Meanwhile, Jonas pulls a couple of crystals and sets up a diagnostic to slow down the hijacker's ability to control the ship. Unfortunately, Martel reveals his own duplicity by snitching on Jonas and telling the hijackers where the crystal was hidden. It's right over there. Just take that and plug that into there and everything. Apparently, he's getting paid a lot of money. They restore the systems which Jonas had sabotaged and then start up the hyperdrive. If that energy isn't directed into making a hyperspace window, it'll blow up the ship and take the state of Nevada with it. And that would make for a very bad day. Just saying. That'd be bad. Yes. Outside the hangar, Major Davis informs a furious Colonel O'Neill about the situation. And as O'Neill lays into the Major, the command base is contacted by the hijackers. They have two demands. Release and deliver to the ship Frank Simmons and Adrian Conrad. Personally, I think they missed a great opportunity. I mean, what could possibly be better than a nice MLT? You know, mutton, lettuce, tomato sandwich, wherein the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato right. Mm. Mm. <laughs> they clearly said do flave, which as we all know means to bluff. <laughs> Liar! <laughs> Have fun storming the Prometheus! <laughs> anyway, back to the story. <laughs> Carter. That was good. I like right. that one. Anyway, Carter is able to MacGyver a radio from the things found in the storage room and contacts the colonel on the outside. She informs them of the situation and prepares to escape by cutting a giant hole in the trinium door. But she'll have to work fast. They have three hours to deliver the two prisoners. And if the ship manages to take off, well, Deck 7 isn't quite finished and is not quite pressurized. Last time I checked, humans at unpressurized space is bad. 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 All right. Inside the ship, the hijackers threaten to kill the hostages if Jonas doesn't help with the hyperdrive. Now, Martel doesn't like the idea of people getting hurt and likes getting shot and killed even less. Sorry, Martel. And now, without the middleman, Jonas has no choice but to acquiesce to their demands. It doesn't take long before Simmons and Conrad make an appearance on the ship. Simmons has clearly planned this from the very beginning. The Gua-Wold's job that is to fix the hyperdrive, something that Jonas can't do himself. Simmons forces the Air Force officer, officers on the surface to open the hangar doors. And once that is done, they pilot the ship up and up and up and into orbit. Carter, however, was able to escape the storage room, yay, but now must get off Deck 7 before the air is completely evacuated. 
and fortunately she manages to find safety in the Jeffrey's tubes. Yes, that is a Star Trek reference, and this is Stargate, but it works, so just run with it. Wait, is it literally called the Jeffrey's tubes? Probably not. I'm just making that. Oh, up. gotcha. I mean, because I was in Star also Trek, thinking, they are called Jeffrey's tubes. I mean, like I, she's crawling around in the tubes, and I'm like, yep, and the Jeffrey's tubes. Like, there you go. Yep. All right. Meanwhile, O'Neill and Teal'c decide to take an Anubis death glider and fly it up to the Prometheus. And with the powers of SG-1 combined, the bad guy's plan is finally revealed. They have found a location of a stash of really cool ancient technology a while back and have been waiting and biding their time until they had the capacity to go and get it. And now they have that chance. Now, several things happen pretty quickly. Carter sabotages the sublight engines. Conrad fixes the hyperdrive engines. The ship nearly collapses uh, into a decaying orbit, but the hyperdrive allows them to blast off. Before they do that, O'Neill and Teal'c meet up with Carter. They go into hyperdrive to get the ancient goods. Conrad betrays Simmons. Simmons ends up killing Conrad. Okay. Sort of. O'Neill, Carter, well, he kills Conrad. Conrad. O'Neill, Carter, and Teal'c arrive at the bridge and find Conrad dead and Simmons missing. They revive the female hijacker who tells them that the hostages are in the supply room on level four. Carter stays on the bridge while O'Neill and Teal'c go to free the hostages. However, on their way, they are accosted by none other than Simmons, who has been ghouled in it. Oh, oh no. no! His eyes are flashy and there's a big fight and battles I mean, and punches and, and stuff. And then and then he stands right by the, the, the hangar bay hatch door, the external hatch, and he's got this giant wrench and he's about to crush O'Neill's head, but Teal'c is there to slow them down, and then all of a sudden, uh, O'Neill is going click, 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 and the door's open, and Simmons is blown out into space. Teal'c, however, being a hero, manages to get a hold of something stable and is saved. Hooray! And now that the bad guys have all been taken care of, it's time for the final act of the show. Okay. The instability of the Nequadria hyperdrive means that they are now lost in space. Lost in space. And not knowing where they are means they have no way of getting back home. But before despair can fully set in, the day is saved thanks to the uh, uh, thanks to Thor. Arrives! Yay! The Asgard apparently routinely monitor hyperdrive travel around Earth, which makes sense. And they are here to help. Sort of. But first, Thor needs the assistance of SG-1 and their cool spaceship. The replicators have overrun the Asgard homeworld. What? To be continued. Oh, boy. All right. Brent. Yeah. Prometheus, the episode, not the Greek god. Yeah. What'd you think? I... Uh, I so I got a feeling, Zach, that I have just created a disturbance in the force with my wishy-washy reaction just now. Uh, one that transcends time and space because I think I can hear a bunch of people just yelling at their podcasty device, like, "What do you mean? This is amazing! We get the X three hundred three, and we're in space, and Thor's in need of our help, and we're like about ready to have some like." amazing space stuff and i'm right i uh, 
I think I'm with uh, Richard Dean Anderson with a bunch of check marks on this script. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think this episode. So, uh, I, all right. I think this episode is a threshold episode, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. This feels very much like we are about to cross into something new. Um, you know, obviously, the X-303 is not meant to be a throwaway thing. Obviously, this represents a major advancement in what our story allows for humanity to be doing. Um, obviously, it is of sufficient power that uh, Thor decides to call upon SG-1 and this new ship, unfinished as it is, into the fight against the replicators, which I guess were not uh, put on the back foot when we discovered uh, Replicator Mom a while ago. Um, I was expecting Replicator Mom to really help out with that one, but apparently it didn't work out. So... um, also in this episode, we've got the ignominious end of Adrian Conrad and Frank Simmons. Like, they're done. Which, that happened a little bit quick, I think. Um, but whatever, here we are. And we also have what was a, an attempt to go find an ancient stash of ancient, capital A, ancient technology and weapons. Which is just... a freaking loot chest out in space somewhere that we got to go find because that's we can't not do that so we got that hanging over our heads too and um i I mean yeah i'm just getting some real battlestar galactica vibes right now like our team is lost in space lost ish right um they're not that lost because thor found them and right (laughs) And 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 they're not that lost because so long as Thor's around, they can obviously navigate back. Uh, so, you know, this is going to resolve itself quite nicely, I'm sure, after our next adventure uh, on the um, Asgard homeworld, presumably. Um, but, man, this thing was kind of clunky. Um, I was thinking that the, the clunky appearance of the X-303 was an appropriate... Uh, metaphor for the clunkiness that this episode was kind of doing because because it was it was it was it was getting the job done but it was kind of doing it by like squaring off a bunch of corners and like (laughs) you know like that's okay i mean it's okay ish um when i got to the end of the episode i kind of was chuckling to myself because i was like this thing was kind of herky-jerky and but it's clearly trying to get me to the spot where we are right now it's clearly trying to be like Brent, we want to tell you a story now where humanity through the SGC and SG-1 are now interstellar travelers in a half-finished ship that is decent enough for our good friends, the Asgard, to call upon them for aid. And we are now entering into a new chapter of this story. At least that's what it feels like. And Brent, we need you to just go along. And so I walk into the end of the episode, I just start chuckling to myself and I'm like, okay, sure. Oh, let's do it. Let's 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 go for it. So there's a decent portion of me that is kind of turning into a, you know a, a, an art critic who is looking at this episode going, wait, what, what? And you know, like I don't know if I would necessarily take RDA's like uh, uh, criticisms uh, in the same fashion. I, I suspect he was. Uh, uh, criticizing this episode for being slightly unrealistic in some respects. I mean, to your point, are there literally only four guards guarding this whole thing? Um, seems mm-hmm. to be, um, 
you know, uh, that then, that then means that it would be impossible for a camera crew to take the thing over. You know, like there was, there was a bunch of parts about this thing that did seem to be skipping, um, skipping the story along to the most extreme ends of plausibility, but it never really broke any of them. Not really. If the air force decided in their infinite wisdom to have literally four guards, two up top, two down low for this entire project, then yeah, a camera crew with a couple of Zach gun, with the Zach gun and some pistols could take this thing over. And they did, um, you know, if they then had the, uh, uh, ability to understand and immediately start to take advantage of the uh, programming and the the mechanism the, the mechanisms of the ship that they seem to have done. Then yeah, they could immediately sit down and start doing things that would do would start to overload um, drives and would put them into a negotiation situation. And you know, I mean, like none of this stuff was completely unrealistic. It just kept going right on that edge of like, okay, all right, fine. So this is happening. And now this is happening. Now this is happening. And then off we blast into space and we end up in the middle of nowhere. And in a tense scene between Conrad and Simmons, a gun goes off and it's vaguely unclear who dies. Remember I'm watching this in SD. So that lump on the floor looked like Conrad, but they never really like, turned him over so I could see his face. So was that actually Simmons? Who's the one that's out there? And the writing there was a little <clears throat> sloppy. And it, I thought it was meant to imply some tension of we don't know who actually is alive and the bad guy. And then when Simmons turns out to be Gould, it was like, oh, that was convenient. Um, uh, and then he gets blown out the airlock and that's also convenient. But okay, again, right on the edge of plausibility. All these things are, none of them is breaking any rule really, but we're just kind of right on that edge this entire way. And then short Thor Thor shows up, which hooray! But again, it's a little on the edge of plausibility, and they've been monitoring all hyperdrive traffic on Earth, which again, to your point, makes sense. But you know, it's convenient. I mean, like, there's a lot of Deus Ex Machina going on right now, and uh, I got to the end of it, and it's very clear that that the showrunners are wanting to go in a new direction, which is fun. Uh, I think I'm here for this. How we got there was a little bit banged around a bit. And having come right off the heels of my new favorite episode to hate last week, where they had a goldmine of great ideas and they just glossed so much of it as to to insult it to the point mm-hmm. that I hated it. Um, I think I kind of see a little bit why they never even bothered to consider to flesh out those ideas, at least as it looks like right now, maybe they do. I don't know. But like right now it looks like they just bounced right over the top of those things. And now we're here into this mid season point where they are clearly like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was great. That was, that, that was a lot of fun. Wasn't it? Like, you know, talking about these ethics things. Yeah. Uh, who wants to talk about ethics when you can have spaceships. And so <laughs> um, here we are, we got spaceships and um, yeah, uh, I, I'm, I am kind of excited, but I'm also I'm also a little worried. Like this also feels like it could be a jumping the shark moment where, um, yeah, the science fiction show was earth based and planetary exploration based. And as a result, uh, the amount of space in it was relatively low. Um, and that, 
can put you into some corners if you're trying to make a space type sci-fi. Like I, I'm kind of, I'm, I, you know, I, I kind of respect how if you want to expand the universe, then you're going to have to start thinking outside the box. So you introduce a boxy ship. Like it's okay, but um, it also might be like we got there in a way that makes me worry a little bit. Like we're, we're trying too hard to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. And I could be way wrong, but if uh, if this turns out to be a moment where some people think that the series takes a turn, I could see that. <laughs> like, like we really did kind of jam this in there, and maybe it'll work out fine. Maybe this was this moment of like, yeah, fine, 40 minutes of kind of jamming it in there so that we can get to a really great set of stories now for the second half of season six, season seven, eight, nine, and ten. Um, so, okay, let's do it. Um, but I'm a little bit apprehensive about it. So I, I, I kind of don't know how to feel about this episode. I think I'm going to go ahead and relax and enjoy the ride um, because it's going to be more fun if I do that. But there is a piece of me that's a little like, ooh, yeah, yeah mm. we, we're really working hard to make this thing happen, aren't we? So that's kind of where I'm at. Um, how about you? What's your reaction to this episode? So... So you are 100% right. This is an episode that is designed to um, <clears throat> move the needle a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a significant turning point when Earthlings now can make a spaceship. Yes. Now, we know here that the hyperdrive is powered by Nequadria, and Nequadria is unstable at best, and it's still not quite right because we've done some hyperdrive stuff in the past with the X three hundred two, and that didn't quite um, pan out completely. And we now know that the Nequadria is still having some issues now. So um, we have a cool new spaceship, but uh, it still has got some issues. We we know that. Mm-hmm. Um, this felt like to me an episode when the writer sat in a room and said, okay, so we want the SGC slash the Air Force to be able to have an interstellar spaceship. We've been Mm -hmm. moving in that direction with the 301, the 302, and now the 303. We need to introduce that. So that's where we want to go. And now they said, okay, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. Um, So whereas... Um, you know, sometimes you're like, okay, let me, uh, let me explore what it means to be or to do X or Y. Mm-hmm. Now they're like, I want to get to that point. How do I get there? Yeah. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, that's not a bad thing. Right. But this episode feels like that's what happened from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, everything is plausible, but only just. Yeah. Um, is it plausible that they made a ship like this and information about this leaks to the press? A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, it's probably a good thing, uh, good bet that uh, the NID have something to do with that leak, mm-hmm. given uh, Simmons' role in all of this. Um, but then when did this start and what's been going on? Because Simmons has been in prison for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he's clearly involved in this somehow. Now, just because he's in prison doesn't mean that he's not still involved in the NID and their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is it plausible that on this particular day, uh, there are two guards up top and two guards beneath. This is probably the least plausible. Yes. <laughs> However, incompetence is a thing. However, incompetence is a thing. Um, clearly, you want to keep this secret, and so you want to have as absolutely few people as possible. Um, also, if you are touring an unfinished ship with a camera crew, you probably want your engineers and your scientists out of the way. Yeah. Because they don't want to work with a camera crew. Also, you don't want the camera crew to be able to see who that is. Right. So, to limit the number of people they see, that makes sense. Is four plus, you know, two tour guides too few? Probably. Yeah. Um, but it's not outside the realm of plausibility. Right. Uh, the camera crew sneaking in there, if the NID is as powerful as the NID is, or at least the rogue elements of the NID are as powerful as the rogue elements of the NID are, uh, which in the past we have seen this, and so this is plausible that they would have this information, it makes sense that they would be able to sneak in to the camera crew some people who had the knowledge to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. Again, we haven't crossed into Im- uh, implausible. Right. But we have definitely skirted the line of improbable. Oh, yeah. Um, but they did this. Okay. Um, can Carter make out of a box of scraps, a box of scraps, a box of scraps, uh, uh, a uh, communications device? Yeah, she's yeah, Carter. She can. Yep. She can totally do that. Um, uh, incidentally, um, uh, that was actually Amanda tapping learning how to use a blowtorch in that regard to cut that. Nice. Um, she didn't cut everything, because they didn't need her to cut everything. Right. But they did actually have her there starting and finishing up the process. Nice. Um, which is kind of cool. In fact, Amanda Tapping did most of her own stunts in this. Oh, nice. Um, you know, it's plausible. You know, if Simmons is doing all of this stuff, and, you know, the threat of blowing up the state of Nevada... Whether it's a, you know, because if they did that, all of the bad people would die too. However, it's the state of Nevada. The U.S. Air Force is kind of stuck under a, I mean, they, they can't risk that happening. Right. That makes sense. So when push comes to shove, you don't have a lot of wiggle room. You kind of have to follow along with what they want and hope you can solve the problem later. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Again, we're skirting improbable, but we haven't fallen into implausible. Right. Or even impossible. Right. Um, you know, O'Neill getting pissed off that all of this happened? That makes a lot of sense. Yes. You know? Um, the, the, again, the ship isn't completely built, but it's flyable, so they can get up and out of, into space. Okay. Um, O'Neill and Teal'c are able to take a death glider to fly into it. Um, the, the radar systems, uh, whatever sensors they have aren't completely operational. So if you fly underneath them, they won't see you coming. Is this improbable? Yeah, but it's possible. Yeah. You know, um, they get on board the ship and the fight between, 
Conrad and and Simmons, which ends in a couple of gunshots, killing one of them. Mm-hmm. Again, pro- it's possible. Mm-hmm. It could happen. Um, the death of Conrad in that regard, I actually didn't have a problem with. Um, it was a little bit shocking, but I didn't feel it too fast, per se. Um, the fact that the Gulawold sneaks into Simmons totally makes sense. They're yeah. right there on top of each other that, you know... Um, now, when you get into the fight between Simmons and O'Neill and, uh, and Teal'c, this is where I think things begin to fall a little bit because I found it super duper boring. I found it utterly, I mean, so one of the things they did when filming is they filmed it with a type of camera that allowed them to slow motion it and speed that up and kind of go back and forth as they wanted. Mm-hmm. But what it came across as me is this whole thing that's just like... Yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't good. <laughs> it, it, was, it was dull. It would have been far better if it had been done uh, fast-paced and things were happening quickly and crazily. The slowing down of that camera pace did not help that scene at all as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, the end of Simmons by opening the emergency hatch and letting him be blown into space. Uh, given uh, what we have learned from Kyle Hill, who is part of, used to be Because Science, and now she, he's got his own channel, which I can't think of the name of it. Um, uh, the uh, I can't remember. Sure. Um, but, you know, he's done different things uh, uh, to test this. And if you're standing right there by the door, when the door opens, there is enough force that you probably could get thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, Teal probably would have had a harder time than it was, but it was very easy for him to get to safety. Yes. Um, O'Neill, knowing what's going to happen and bracing himself, that's plausible as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Here we are. We're bordering on him. Plot yeah, probable, right. but we haven't fallen into that couldn't happen that way. Right. Um, am I sad to see Simmons go? No. He was a jerk. To have him die, well, to have him be goulded, and then to die in space, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I would have been more okay with it if it was filmed at a higher speed and not slowed down like it was. <laughs> right. Uh, it just felt... You know, Peter West was going for something there, and it didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Maybe it worked for other people. Who knows? Um, it makes sense that the the Asgard would be. Um, well, let me back up. Uh, the fact that they would try to steal a ship to go find ancient weapons or technology that is a hundred percent plausible. That's exactly mm-hmm. the type of thing the NID was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that they end up in somewhere else also makes sense. We talked about that with the Nequadria. Uh, the fact that the, the Asgard are routinely monitoring uh, the hyperdrive activity around Earth, again, makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earth is, after all, a protected planet. How do you protect it mm. if you pay te- don't pay attention to things like that? Yep. Um, so, here we have the ship, uh, as you did, you know, there, we have about Two minutes of screen time when where they're like, oh, we're in the middle of nowhere and have no way to get home. We have no food. This is a problem. Yep. 
Um, oh, we've got the Asgard. We're safe. Okay. I mean, that's fine. I don't have yeah. a problem with it. You know, yeah. it's, it's there. Um, we, we are... So here is one of the, the, uh, the things about television in 2002, mm-hmm. particularly Stargate in 2002. Uh, it is still episodic television. Mm-hmm. which means it finishes this episode here and that's it we finish the episode now unlike say original series star trek and various other shows in you know oldie timey days mm-hmm. um episode <laughs> a does have effects on episodes in the future mm-hmm. whereas in the past it didn't right but it's still it's episodic television which means we needed to wrap it up in 43 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that this episode wraps it up in 43 minutes and springboards into whatever is coming next is actually um, a relatively unique thing for the time. Yeah, and that, yes. Now, for today's television storytelling, um, and even storytelling in, say, the 2000 teens, mm-hmm. um, that was you know, old hat. Right. But it was kind of cutting edge-ish for 2002. You know, I mean, it was it was what episodic television could do if they were wanting to do that more so. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of things happening. We've got a lot of new threads opening up with this episode. We've got the ship and what does all that mean? Um, you know, uh, to spoil a little bit, at the end of a season, they break down a whole bunch of sets they leave some things up. That's just how television works. Mm-hmm. The set for the Prometheus is one of the sets that stays up after season six ends. I mean, yeah, it would be. I would be and, extremely disappointed if, like, I see this ship now for like two episodes and that's it. Like, that would be weird. You know. Um, so, what we see in this episode is the SGC now has some semblance of. Uh, space travel, actual space travel. They've got a ship. Mm-hmm. There's some issues still going on, but they have a ship. Um, and this is going to be a significant, going to play a uh, a role moving forward. Um, but this is also a show that's about the SGC and our heroes. So um, I will spoil this and say we are not going to see the Prometheus in every episode from this point moving forward. Well, I mean, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did not actually think that we're going to transition into a Lost in Space show, but right. it, it did kind of feel like it was uh, trying to nudge us that way. Um, and well, let me rephrase that. It definitely felt like it was trying to nudge us that way, and then the Asgard show up, at which point I'm like, oh, okay, well, then I guess not. But first, we're going to go to the Asgard homeworld because the replicators are back. Right. Now, I would say that um, if this had been a newer show, if this had been made in the 2010s, for instance, mm-hmm. um, likely what we would have seen is a an arc of a few episodes where they would have gotten lost in space and they would have had to deal with that for a bit. They would have had yeah. some adventures in space. And then perhaps the Asgard saves them and brings them and does whatever is next. Right. Um. But this is 2002, so we don't get that kind of storytelling. Right. Um, uh, you see that one of the first places that I can see that, remember seeing that type of storytelling, is season four of Enterprise, 
which mm-hmm. I'm blanking exactly. I think that was about three or four years after this. Yeah, um, yeah, because season one of Enterprise was what two thousand one ish. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, so they're they're happening more or less concurrently here, uh, but that type of storytelling. Uh, wasn't until season four where they had three or four season arcs, three or four episode mm-hmm. arcs of things, and of yep. course season three of Enterprise had the the whole Zindi storyline that lasts the whole uh, season, yep. which kind of plays into that type of storytelling. Yep. Um, but we are not at that point point in this show um, and such. So, um, so what do I think of this episode? Mm-hmm. I think that what this episode sets up is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I think it sets that up fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's kind of where, yeah, the, again, to the point of that, I think I'm just going to relax and enjoy what's going to happen as opposed to necessarily get too hung up about how we got here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can respect how an executive producer would look at this and go, what, what, what? It, can, can we not find a better way to do this? Because um, there was, it, it really did feel, well, it felt like railroads. It felt like a railroad track. You know, like when um, when you engage in enough story, uh, there, you, you get that spidey sense when things just are like, okay, we're here because somebody wanted us to be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like less, less so like, like this is a very natural artifact of how things click together. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, and, and maybe we can kind of work on this together. Um, if what we wanted this episode to do was to introduce that we have a new spaceship, mm-hmm. it's got some issues, but we have a new spaceship. And that means that sets a, uh, a, a different trajectory type of thing for, uh, the series, or at least for the heroes. Uh, if that's kind of what we wanted to do, right? So we wanted to get to this end point where we have a new ship, we have some other things that might play a role into things. Um, how would we go about introducing that in a way that was exciting and good television um, that they may have chosen instead of this? There's two things that spring to mind right away, but one other thing that they that clearly uh, Malazzi and Mully wanted to do with this one was also introduce the concept of the uh, ancient cache, um, because that was the whole reason why Conrad and Simmons were in on this thing in the first place. Right. Um, and because we also wanted the ancient cache as well, that kind of forced the story's hand to keep it very Earth centric. So the very first thing, though, that springs to mind when you ask that question of like, how else could we have introduced the X-303 and still had a very similar type of adventure? Um, It would be something that was kind of similar to what we did with the X-302, where things are better this time around, but I am struggling at this very second with the, you know, being put on the hot seat uh, to justify why SG one would be (laughs) on the X three Oh three when they were doing a test flight, but let's just run with me on this one here for a second. Okay. Um, There's, there's, there's several seats on the bridge. So, you know, like you got your, um, you got your, your, your um, hotshot pilot who happens to be the Colonel. Um, You've got your, uh, you know, your, your alien technologist who happens to be the Jaffa. 
you've got your uh, Earth-based uh, uh, super genius who happens to be uh, the major, uh, and then you have uh, your um, you know resident genius uh, in waiting who happens to be the, uh, the, the 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 oh shoot what was the name of the planet that Jonas is from whatever the other guy um, Langara the, the Langaran right. So, you know, at least you can kind of put together that, you know, this is your A team. So they're going to be the ones who test this thing out. And then something goes wrong because it's Nequadria. And, you know, it, maybe you can make a joke about how, wait a minute, didn't we have this exact thing happen with a 302? You mean we didn't get this fixed? And then you can have not only is it the Asgard that are monitoring hyperdrive travel, but also you can have Anubis looking. Why not? Why not have Anubis be a little bit spying on it, trying to find his chance to destroy Earth? He sees this thing go off the planet, so he chases after it. And now you've got a half-built ship in its test run off course with Anubis bearing down on you. You have some fight action. You know, you get yourself a little punchy-punchy. And then at the end, you still have Thor show up in a Bliskner-class starship and blow out the blow out the spy dudes or whatever. Uh, hooray, the day is saved. Thor, how did you notice know find us? We also are monitoring the traffic. Oh, that's great, but we need your help. And then off they go to fight the 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 the, the replicators. But what but the thing that felt like it was kind of getting jammed in there was this story about a potential news leak and using the news crew to infiltrate the ship and it's really a grand ploy by the nid and it's really really a grand ploy by conrad and simmons and it was these like layers of subterfuge and which then introduced the necessity to have it guarded by four people and it introduced the necessity to have it um feel a little bonk bonk over the head about how we got into the situation and it it, it really was that 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 demand to have this be uh, a nefarious plot from the inside vis-a-vis earth that sort of had to drive a lot of this stuff into the, how are we going to make this part work? When, if you had flipped it on its head and you said, how about we not try to make it work so that people are taking over the ship on earth? How about we just have this thing go off into space and have something happen? Cause space is really big. Um, it felt like it might have flowed a lot easier if that had happened that way. I will say uh, um, that uh, regarding the news crew and the information leaking, that also is a continuation of previous uh, plots within the story. Uh, we have had several incidences where information about the Stargate is getting leaked out into the public. Yeah. Um, so even that is uh, fitting into the grander narrative of the story. Um, but it's, with it. it forces you, though, to then try to sell within the story that the United States Air Force's response to uh, news information about the Prometheus Project getting dangerously close to the public, that the USAF's response is to put four guards on it. Right. Well, that yeah. that's we were flirting instead of it flirting with improb improbability. That's now turning into no. They wouldn't do that. They would heighten security. And so, but why now, do you have inside the catch, addition? I mean, in the that? the the other side of that is, um, you're right. They probably should have had more guards. Um, they wouldn't have had <clears throat> it, the whole place teeming with guards because they would have done oh, yeah, severe no, background checks. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not discounting. I, you, but when 
my point is that the if you look too hard, this is yet another episode where if you just kind of lean back and you just take a deep breath and you let the story happen, mm-hmm. you're going to have a better time with it. If yeah. you start looking real hard at it, things just aren't adding quite that cleanly, and it's a bunch of them. And so instead of getting caught up in the minutia and demanding that the story make absolute perfect sense, you know, I say best to lean back and just kind of let it happen. We're here now. Okay. You know, know, we're here. It's them. Let's move on. All right. So with that, then Mm -hmm. Chevron rating. Yeah. (laughs) Where do you go with this? (laughs) Um, I'm going to I'm going to choose to lean back, relax and go with it. I think I see. You know, if I'm just leaning back and not getting too caught up in the details, we've got an X-303, a, multi, a, a, a large ship capable of a large contingent crew that is capable of interstellar travel. Still a little rocky, still not the best, but we also have our, our favorite allies, the Asgard, calling on our help with this thing. So, man, all right. We got ourselves new technology. We've got ourselves a new chapter. Um we're taking a big step forward here. And if I look too closely at how we get here, I start to get a little queasy. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm going to relax. I'm going to say, we're about to have some fun, aren't we? And I'm going to trust that we're going to have some fun. And I'm going to give this one a five out of seven. Five out of five out of seven. Um, But it's, but if I'm leaning back and relaxing, it's a strong five. I was debating between five and six. Um, Sure. If I get real close, if I get real um, picky about the minutia, it it weakens fast. And so, you know what? I'm going to trust. Let's have a good time. Five out of seven. How about five you? Out of seven. You know, I'm actually going to agree with you. I'm going to go with a five out of seven. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so this episode is kind of one of those things. Um, so, like, have you seen Babylon 5? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, Babylon 5 is a story, uh, sci-fi series that came out in the Mm -hmm. mid-90s. Lasted five seasons. It was about the space station in space, and there was this grand meta-narrative of this galactic battle and and such. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've seen the show a couple of times, and I have found that every time I watch it, I get bored to tears, almost, (laughs) with the individual episodes. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> but I really enjoy the meta story. Oh, yeah. When gotcha. you look at the story of how it grows from season one to two to three to four and such, and yeah. how this galactic battle uh, changes and adapts and how the people, our heroes on the, the space station, have to navigate that. Yeah. Um, I like that story. Mm-hmm. But I get really bored with the individual stories. Yeah. Now, I'm sure I really torqued off some Babylon 5 lovers out there. <laughs> Maybe just a little. I also but that's torqued how off I by feel. saying I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but this is kind of one of those episodes that if I look back, look closely at the episode, I don't really care. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the episode where Conrad and Simmons die. Yeah. This is the episode when the Prometheus is introduced. Yeah. Yay! Awesome! Yeah, yeah. Woohoo! Right. Um, this is the episode when some news people steal, you know, hijack the ship. Yes. Okay. But all of that means, um, 
for right now, I am like you. I'm I'm gonna just run with the awesome parts and give this a five. Yep. All right. Yeah. Predictions. We have predictions. I uh did my I did my so uh thank you to uh quasi showrunner David for uh telling us to keep putting up uh, requests on our social medias for the predictions, including the Twitters. Yes. And uh, indeed, I did get a couple of replies on the Twitters. Well, no, just one. I got one reply, but unfortunately, okay. quote, Kevin says, don't worry, Brent, you've got activity here too. Just stop by to say hi. I'll give my prediction on Facebook though. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. I love it. I love this so much. Thank you, Kevin, for giving me your not prediction on Twitter. All right, now let's see here. Where is Kevin's? Oh, there it is. All right, I'll read Kevin's first then. Okay. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Brent. Hi, Zach. Been waiting for this episode since you started season six. So excited Ah. to see the X-303. Finishing up with Adrian Conrad and Frank Simmons stories, revealing Earth's first like of space-based defense, even if it isn't fully finished yet. And at the end, we get to see Thor coming in with the cliffhanger. Yeah. A great episode all around. I predict a six from Brent and a six from Zach. Yeah, yeah, close. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Um, you know, for those reasons, I would agree. Um, yeah. All right. Here we have Adrian. Hi, Adrian. Conrad. Not 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 Conrad. Oh. Hi, Adrian. He says, um, I predict six from Zach and five from Brent just hey, because. Nice. Just because. Look forward to hearing the discussion and the scores. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Next, we have Warren. Warren, Hi, Warren. says, I will need to have a rewatch myself. It's getting too long since I have seen the episodes. Yeah. But here goes my predictions. Zach gets a six because of the honking big earth ship. <laughs> <Big Earth. laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Brent gives it a six as Sam just avoids getting stuck in the unpressurized parts of the ship. Just barely, but she's awesome though. But she's see. awesome. Yeah. Yep. Very, very close. All, All right. right. Susan says Hi, Susan. Z- Jack gets really, really angry, but then later is happy to see his good buddy Thor. Yep. Carter almost gets spaced, but is too smart to fall for that trope. Yeah. Better yet, <laughs> Simmons really gets spaced. Good riddance. (laughs) Yes. Nice. I give it a six because it's a return to classic SG-1 action and a nice setup for important things to come. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say a five from Brent because he's still recovering from last week's chaotic rating. Yeah. yeah, And a six from Zach because he knows what's coming. Very close. Nice. Yeah. Good. Yep. Um, Most people are predicting that I'm going to give this a six, I think. Okay. Um, Yeah. And, you know, that's fair. Evan says. Hi, Evan. I always wondered what the end game for Simmons was. He knows them ghoulish boys are deceptive, so it's not like he could have shacked up with them after he hijacked the Prometheus. Was he coming up with a plan as he went along? Basically, step one, steal Prometheus. Step two, follow untrustworthy alien to totally real treasure. Step three, use the (laughs) ship and weapons as collateral to get whatever he wants. Ultimately, this wasn't the plan of a calculating manipulator, just a desperate man. Maybe he really did care about Earth's safety and believed the SGC was ineffective. Who knows? He's dead. That's actually a decent read, frankly. Yeah? There's no one on Earth that can protect Earth other than Major Major Colonel? Colonel Frank Simmons. 
And he's going to do it with his own two hands. Out the door he goes. Well, there certainly is something that we have seen with uh, the NID, with Simmons, and also with uh, Mayborn back in the day. Yeah. That they believed that the NID could do the job of protecting Earth better than the SGC. Yeah, the SGC with their morals. Psh. Yeah. Ugh. Pesky morals. Who needs Pesky those? Pesky morals. It's obviously not the NID. No, obviously not. Evan continues. In yes. any case... A six from Zach for introducing a very important plot development in a cool way. Uh A five from Brent for the fact that it can feel like they pulled a battleship from their butt. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. He continues. (laughs) Okay. I mean, seriously, they probably would have just finished the paperwork for the initial proposal if this was the real DOD. Yeah, well, yeah, yes. Yeah, but you know, I mean, if you're well, I mean, two billions, two billion doesn't get you what you used to. Oh man, like, cause like, what, what's the name of that one? Whatever. There's a navy ship, right? Like, they're gonna make a bunch of them. They made like two. They're like super futuristic, kind of look kind of weird because of the radar signature. Blah 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 blah. Zoom zoom Walt zoom. Dummy. Uh, they are stupidly expensive. Like million dollar a shell, stupidly expensive. Oh gosh! Um, yeah, like that's why there's only two. Uh, but um, yeah, two billion doesn't get you what you think it does. Now it's safe to assume that uh, they started working on the plans for the X three hundred three and the X three hundred two more or less concurrently. I, I bet that's true. And they were probably trying to get the trickiest part of the technology pinned down with the three hundred two. Right. So, um, so yeah, there's that. All right, we have Sean. Hi, Sean. Sean says, five for Zach and six for Brent. It's a decent enough episode, but not the introduction to the X-303 I've ever liked. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. I would have quite liked a couple of episodes Voyager-style lost light years away, but it resolved too fast. It did resolve pretty fast. Indeed. Uh, Good build-up for the next episode, though. No Mm -hmm. reaction from Russia regarding a huge... MF ship leaving orbit? Hey, you know, they, 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 yeah, maybe later. Yeah. We'll see Chekhov later. You know, Sean says, I give it a five all the same. Thor is great, and it means Michael Shanks was involved in the episode two. That's right. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, Kimberly says, a six from both of us. Ah, yes, close. Zach knows the implications. Brett can infer the implications. This is big. The Towery have their own tech. Brent will be tickled by the tech upgrade and how the SGC is actually starting to be a real threat. Yeah. Yep. yep. Very, very good. All right. Very close. We've got Dan. Hi, Dan. All right. Did, have we heard from Dan before? We, okay, at this point in time, yes, we have heard from Dan. Oh, come on. I was doing, I've been doing such a good job of the joke. No, come oh, on. oh, oh, okay. Hit me up again. Let me try again. Have we heard from Dan? I don't know if we've heard from him um, I think this maybe, might be the first time. Maybe. Hey, welcome, Dan. Hi, welcome, Thanks for writing Dan. in. All right. So this is kind of a strange part one, in my opinion. Of all the two-parters, these don't really feel like they're connected, aside from the obvious ending. Uh, well, Dan, without spoiling too much for Brent, that is precisely why we are treating these as two separate episodes. Oh. <laughs> you know what? I didn't even think about that. Normally, we do watch these two-parters like this. I got, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, um, fine. Yeah. All yeah. good. Uh, and to that end, uh, um, David and I actually had a conversation about that. Um, and we both agreed that whereas Redemption is a single story that takes two episodes. Yeah. 
Um, this is basically two different stories that are directly connected with how they end and begin. I have a question for you, Zach. Yes. Uh, what are the air dates? Is there much time between the two? Uh, let August me 22nd and... Look that up. Um, that's not the right one. Pull that one up. Okay. So, as I pull this up, we're in season six. Prometheus aired August 23rd, and uh, next week's episode actually aired in December. Yeah. So there actually is a fairly lengthy period of time. Yeah, something told me this was a mid-season break. Because also this season started early compared to normal TV. It started in June. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I that makes sense that they would that that, that they would. Yes, this is I, I'm this. This feels like TV. Yep. Yep. OK, um, Dan continues. Let's yes. be honest here. There's some serious security issues with our bases. No, no. I mean, the only secret as big as the Stargate itself, and it's all hidden under a small building surrounded by a chain link fence yeah. with two guys guarding it. Put a wall around it for crying out loud. And allowing a camera crew inside our brand new spaceship? Let's check more than if they served or not. Surely there's more we can look at than that. Like maybe check their equipment? Yep. Uh, Lessons to be learned. Number one, always spare the supervillain riff when time is of the essence. Mm -hmm. Two, friendship is always viable. (laughs) Three, Colonel Sanders is apparently not chicken. True. Four. <laughs> never ever allow the villain to monologue. If Simmons hadn't paused to savor this moment, he could have actually succeeded. Yeah, uh, true. Yeah. So let's get down to brass tacks. It's another fair episode. It's not one of my favorites, but overall we get some cool new tech. Like um what's it called? That one thing that flew um in the sky. Oh yeah, the Enterprise. Wait, no, no, no. Prometheus, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I'd say this is a five, maybe as low as a four and a half. Uh, I'll uh go with a six from Brent. I mean, it's a spaceship, right? And a five and a half from Zach. Yeah, very close. But yeah, but that, but those feelings of like, wait, what? Like, yep. Yep. All right. Uh, Now we have Helio. Hi, Helio. Helio says, uh oh, now we have our own ship. No need to try to hijack Gould motherships to end up parking them in the bottom of the ocean. Woohoo! Mother <laughs> Nature says thanks. <laughs> Mother Nature <laughs> says thanks. Nice. <laughs> hey, dude, they could become coral reefs someday. Someday, perhaps. Not mm-hmm. if you blow them up, though. Mm, true. I thought Carter would be kidnapped in front of her gym again in the beginning of the episode. It was only later. Simmons says, go spacewalk, and he goes. Mm-hmm. Carter seems a red shirt in the Jeffrey tubes. Uh, Thor, buddy, how's the new body? Could you be so kind as to tow us back home? <laughs> sure, O'Neill. Just need to make a little detour to the Ida galaxy. You know, wife said to stop at the mall and get some bacon and kill bugs at home. <laughs> <laughs> Pesky replicators. We've been overrun. Yeah, you know, it's it's how it goes. Like, but like another thing that we're just going to have to gloss over. Wait a minute. 
The Asgard's best hope is a half-finished ship that just happened to launch prematurely at the right time from... What? Gosh. So... I'm gonna stop looking. I I'm just gonna will back and enjoy the ride. Let just let that one fall. No, I'm just gonna let and it go. listen to what happens next time. Okay, fine. Okay, now Deal. Helio says mm -hmm. seven for me, Zach and Brent. Whoa, really? Let's not talk about four guys overrunning a high secure facility, please. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> there's no history. <laughs> Just, just, just look right past. Just, just, just stop. Just don't go. look there. Just stop no, looking no, no, there. No. Don't look at the guy behind the curtain. No. <laughs> oh, All right. Awesome. All right. We do have some email predictions. Mm -hmm. Starting with Edward. Hi, Edward. We haven't heard from Edward in a while. So welcome. Hello. He Hello. says, I love this episode. Nice. Is okay. it very good? Probably not, but it's one of my favorites because it's the first time you see the human technological development on this scale, and mm -hmm. it leads into another one of my favorite episodes. Okay. Cool. I remember the first time seeing this episode on TV and just being blown away. Uh, of course, not by the CG. It looks like a PlayStation game cutscene. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it was 2002, all right? It was. Yeah. But just the progression of the story. Humans as a legitimate interstellar species in the 21st mm -hmm. century. Mm -hmm. The atmosphere of the ship is so grounded and relatable. I love it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it definitely did not feel like future. It felt like, like well, current, you know, 2020 years old now. But whatever. Yeah. It felt very relatable. Yeah. He says, I bet Zach will give it a six. And Brent finds that his bagels have been su suddenly seized by an Asgard transport beam, <laughs> leaving him with little recourse but to rate this one a five out of seven. Uh -huh. <laughs> Plus, it's a Greek tragedy. Who wants that? <laughs> oh, nice. Most oh, excellent. and then he has a PS. Oh, oh, yeah. And I can't gloss over the satisfaction of watching Simmons meet his fate. I I kind of wanted it to be drawn out a little bit more. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. He gets airlocked. Um. And then we have Jacob. Hi, Jacob. Jacob says, I think both of you will like this episode. A six for Brent and a six and a half from Zach. Yeah, very close. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for producing the show. I so much love it and feel better listening to you. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very Thanks, much. Jacob. That's a very nice compliment. That's awesome. And then... Oh, okay. Well, um, David says, Chevron encoding, we're hijacking this bias buffer. Oh, oh no. And then he's got some cool little pictures there in, you know, ASCII characters that uh -huh. uh, I can't describe. Um, maybe I'll make a screenshot of this. If Well, I can make a screenshot right now. And, uh, <laughs> and then, uh, and then, uh, Brent, I'll invite you to, uh, Take a look at that, and then I'll post that on the Facebooks. Gotcha. Uh, here for oh, you all. Telephone here. It's cute. All right. Now, here's what uh, David says. Good. Pot points tied up for Colonel Simmons and Adrian Conmo Conrad. McCarter Giver. Thor <laughs> is back. We have a mother-loving space battleship. Yeah, we do. Those are the good. The bad. The whole basic premise of this episode, especially yeah. the bit about them not completely vetting the film crew and not yeah. thoroughly checking their recording equipment yeah. for weapons. Yeah. And it's a to be continued. Yeah. Who cares, though? We have a gosh darn flippin' battle spaceship. <laughs> I 
mean, look at it. It's got an engine. Uh, he uh, David predi- predicts Brent five chevrons because it's yes. not that great and has yeah. a flawed premise. But space battleship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much right on the money. And Zach, five chevrons because the <gasps> other reason he got a 3D David. printer is so he could make his own Prometheus space battleship. Oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. Yeah, that is an awesome idea. I just uh, need to get David my 3D got it printer right. working again. David, you got it right. Right on the money. Well done. Awesome. All right. So I know that was long, but those were the predictions this week. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, everybody. Yes. I I love that so much. This this part of the show. I love this part of the show. I love this part of the show. Now, we do need to push faster because we are now at an hour and 42 minute sprint. Yeah, well, we had a lot to talk about. We did. But the next episode. Yep. The to-be-continued episode. Yep. The episode with the, the, the Asgard and the replicators. Yeah. Is called Unnatural Selection. Okay, okay. Unnatural, unnatural Selection. Okay. And what is Unnatural Selection about? Okay, all right. Uh, unnatural Selection. All right. Next time on Stargate SG-1. The SG-1 travel through the gate to find themselves on a strange world. Which is peculiar, because how do they find a gate to go through, since they are on the Prometheus? Well, they do. Let's keep going. They find themselves (laughs) in a strange world, where they are encountered by a great leader, who has been chosen by a large conglomerate of people to lead their world into an era of peace and prosperity. However... These are dark times, and their peace and prosperity is threatened by many forces, from within and from without. And so the leader engages into some research, some understandings of the way things are that some might consider unnatural. Because somehow the SG-1 team have found themselves on Coruscant, talking to Emperor Palpatine as he recalls the story of Darth Plagueis. Because I'm going to totally do a crossover and we're going to have some Lucasfilm and some MGM and we're going to have Stargate and Star Wars and it's going to be Gate Wars and it's going to be unnatural and they're going to select some terrible stories and they're going to try to mash it together because this is 2002 and this is exactly when George Lucas was making these terrible decisions. And so join us next time on Stargate where we let Brent go crazy with the fandom and we end up with unnatural selection. So, I have just one question. Yeah? How can I learn all of this? <laughs> what, was the, what was his response? I can't remember. It was like, you know... Not I, I from a you. Jedi. Or no, it's like, can yeah. I learn all of this? Not from a Jedi. Not there you from go. a Jedi. <laughs> I tell you what, though. For as much of a difficult train wreck as those stories were there were definitely some moments of pretty darn good acting and that was one of them i thought oh yeah not not from i mean hayden christensen was doing all right he was doing the best that he could given the material it was not that anyway well, but like, yeah yeah you know, the, the one who really got screwed over in those series were was natalie portman because we have oh, seen her do no great kidding. acting and lots of other things and she looks as cardboard cutty out as you could possibly get. I know. It, I she know. looks like she is absolutely awful. But 
It's the yeah. material that she's working with. Yeah, no, that that's that that's true. And I'm also willing to go to bat that, like, you know, look, you're you're an actor, and you're and you're told by the director, okay, here's your motivation. You're an angsty teenager forever. Go. It's like, great. What do you do? You just whine and complain. That's what <laughs> okay. you do, and that's what we yep. hated about it. Yeah. So yep. anyway, all right. Anyway. Is this episode going to be about Star Wars, Zach? No. Oh. Is this going to be about Darth Plagueis the Wise? Um. No. Oh. Is this going to be about uh, learning some parts of the Force that are unnatural? No. Oh, dang it, then what is it about? <laughs> it's about the promo we are going to watch here in just a moment. Okay. All, All right. right. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. I'm hitting play now. Next time on Stargate SG-1. Were you rescued by the Asgard? Actually, it kind of looks like we'll be coming to their rescue, sir. Oh. The Asgard have a mission that only SG-1 can accomplish. You need someone dominant. On the contrary, it is both your physical prowess and military expertise that are required. Oh, okay. On a dangerous mission to an Asgard homeworld, things are not always as they seem. You bet the bugs ate everything else. And where are they? Inside the replicator stronghold, they encounter the unexpected. Who are you? The others are coming. Damn it. Where's Palpatine? <laughs> we are replicators. Oh, wait, what? It's what? What? Ah, 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 oh, man, have the replicators figured out how to be Cylons? Oh, oh. no! Oh, goodness. Oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. I'm kind of here for this. I'm ready for this. Yeah. This definitely all feels right. like a chapter shift, though. That's for sure. It, well, that's an, we'll have to wait and see okay. next week. Yes. And you're all fortunate and lucky because we will be recording next week. Right, Brent? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes. we will. Yep. And then after that, it's going to be a few weeks off. Yes. And, and and you're lucky. So we don't give you this weird break at the to be continued. We get through the to be continued. Yeah, that's right. Then we take a little bit of time off. Then we take the break. Exactly. All right. So thank you, David, for putting together the promo. Yes. It thank was you, awesome as usual. Uh, thank you very much for all of your comments and predictions. Uh, tell us what else you think about this episode. Where did we get this right and wrong? Um, yeah. Do mm-hmm. you agree with us? Do you think that we were being way too harsh with this episode? Uh, email us at walkingthroughthestargate@gmail.com, Twitter, Facebook, the website, all yep. of those fun things. Join us, have fun, and with that I say I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this has been Walking Through the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. Carter, dial it up. Get these people home.